Today is Monday, February 19th, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Truckers are vowing to boycott New York City after a ruling against Donald Trump. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Email if you'd like, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me to get through the news of the cray is Billy Hallowell on this Monday. As always, a lot to get to on the focus story. Billy, we got a tragic story in Uganda unfolding. Yeah, this is just heartbreaking. A, a couple of parents of four kids reportedly slaughtered just two months after becoming Christians. They were ex-Muslims. Mm. Yeah, really sad stuff. And uh, we're going to have the details there. Also on the main thing, we've got an election season this year in 2024. How are the young people, how's their vote going to fall this time around? Madison Seals takes a look at some of the issues surrounding the younger generations on today's main thing. All that's coming up. First, don't forget to subscribe to our other CBN News podcast, DC Debrief with John Stolness and Newsmakers, Billy Hallowell. You can do that in the link that is in the description of this podcast episode. All right. Housekeeping out of the way. We're going to get to the news here in 90 seconds. A group of truckers who support former President Trump are not happy about a court ruling that went against him. They've announced they will not be driving to New York City in protest after Trump was fined more than $350 million last week. He's being barred from operating his businesses in New York for three years and he's found liable for more than 350 million in what the judge says is damages in a civil fraud case where his family and the organization that he runs has been charged by new york attorney general leticia james the judge handed down his ruling on friday after a trial that began in october that stemmed from james's lawsuit they accused him of inflating his assets committing fraud. Trump has maintained his innocence and called the trial a political witch hunt. Christians in Germany are expressing their concerns over a proposed bill that aims to establish censorship zones, kind of like what we've seen in the UK around abortion facilities, penalizing pro-life prayers and offers to help people who are going into these facilities. And who's happy in the U.S.? Gallup ran a survey recently, and a record number of people are unhappy, but some groups of U.S. adults are still registering high levels of satisfaction in their lives, including people with faith. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out more stories over at CBNNews.com. A couple things to touch on here, Billy, and I know you did that story on the Gallup poll, and there's some interesting findings there. I'm always curious on how you really dial in on happiness, but it is interesting to see that while, as we've talked about, there are so many factors that are causing people frustration right now, that faith is one of those things that seems to yield a higher result with people who are content with their lives. Yeah, well, and going to church and having community, these things, I mean, every single study that is done on this shows that this is the case. It's common sense, right? I yeah. mean, even, even if you want to reject the faith aspects of it, the community that comes with church, right, at the very least, which is why, bizarrely, there are many atheist scientists, we've seen studies in the past, who take their kids to church still, which I think is really 
interesting. Like just yeah. the social fabric and the connections that come from that. Yeah. And then the contentment factor, right, is when you place your faith in Christ and you are walking closely with the Lord, you're going to, the, the society puts such a premium on the things and it can feel overwhelming at times, the material nature of things. And you can see all the things that people have, all the stuff that they have, and you don't have that. And it can make you feel frustrated because, well, all these people have, seem to have all these things and I don't have these things. But when you're walking with the Lord, those material things take a lesser precedence in your life, or they should take a lesser precedence in your life. And so you're content with almost any situation you're in, and and you kind of realize, maybe I don't need all these things to be happy. And so, again, common sense, but when you're placing your faith in Christ like that, you certainly should have a lot higher contentment levels. Yeah, yeah, and you're able to handle the things that go wrong, right? right? Even if you're going through a really difficult time, you know, you, and again, mainly because you have that relationship with with God and he's giving you that peace and it surpasses all understanding. And then you also have a community of people built in outside of that to help come alongside you. And so in this era of loneliness, at the very least, you know, the church attendance piece should be compelling to people. But of course, you want people to have that deeper you know, relationship. But yeah, it's it's interesting though, because I've never seen people, you know, all the follow the science people seem to ignore the science on this again and again. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, real quick, we're going to keep our eyes on this story that's brewing in Germany. I mean, we've reported, you've reported, Billy, on the citizens in the UK that have been arrested for praying silently outside of abortion clinics. And now in Germany, they want to create these censorship zones around abortion facilities. That is a disturbing trend, and we're starting to see it pop up now in Germany, not just in the UK. Yeah, and I think we're going to see more and more and more of this. It's really about cracking down on faith yeah. at the end of the day. That's, what, that's what's going on here. And so it's, it's disturbing, and also free speech, right? I mean, this should be something... I mean, imagine, and there's so many other scenarios that you could come up with that would impact other groups, not just Christians. And so everybody should be concerned about these things. It's not coincidental that it's spreading at the same time all across these different countries. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. We'll certainly keep an eye on that. We'll keep you updated. We're going to move to the focus story now. And as we mentioned at the top, these ex-Muslims in Uganda were murdered earlier this month. This this is just a short time after they became Christians. So what happened here? Yeah, it's a couple, um, Twaha and Nadimu. It's a husband and wife. Um, the husband was 38 years old. The wife was 27 years old. And on February 2nd, they were reportedly slashed to death outside of their home. They are the parents of four children. They have a seven, five, three, and two-year-old. And again, killed outside their home, according to Morningstar News. Uh, really just a horrific situation. And this came about two months after they became Christians. Mm -hmm. They apparently were Muslims. They became Christians back in December and lost their lives again earlier this month on February 2nd. A neighbor who reportedly heard the killing was speaking out. What'd they say? Yeah, of course, this neighbor speaking on condition of anonymity because they're fearful, but they recounted overhearing the assailants talking in Arabic. And I guess a lot of people in Uganda, there are many people who do speak Arabic, despite the fact it's a majority Christian country. Um, and we'll get into some of that after. But they apparently overheard them talking and conversing loudly in Arabic and in another language, saying that um, basically they were reaping, the family was reaping the fruits of leaving Islam. Mm. And then the 
this neighbor said, after a few minutes, I heard loud wailing coming out of Tuaha's house. And um, really just horrific. Imagine overhearing overhearing this. That same neighbor said he was fearful that they were going to come to his house. So he's locking the doors. He was up all night, panicked, you know, because he's a Christian as well. And he said, thank God the attackers did not come to our house. Mm, wow, that is terrifying. And Uganda has some persecution issues. What are some of the, how's what's it going on there right now? What is sort of the status of things on that front? Yeah, it's a really, another really crazy situation. Apparently 84% of Ugandans are Christian, right? So you're mm -hmm. talking about a majority Christian country, but there are apparently internal problems with Islamic extremism. It's been growing steadily. And then severe persecution is sort of unfolding in these pockets within the country. Um, and it's particularly problematic for people like this couple who have converted away from Islam into Christianity. That's when a lot of these assaults happen. But again, you think, how is it possible that these things are happening? Happening in you know a majority Christian country, it would be like having pockets in America, you know, of, of this sort of thing going on. Um, but we've reported on a number of stories. There was a grandmother and her two grandchildren who were slaughtered on Christmas Day, uh, and then there was a 17-year-old. You might remember he was locked up by his own family last year. He was found to be in a dilapidated state uh, back in September. There was another story about 37 students killed at a um, secondary school back last June. So there have been a number of stories. We have covered them. Um, even a priest, I believe, who was was killed uh, or sprayed with acid and almost entirely blinded. He wasn't killed. Um, but mm -hmm. that was an attack back in 2022. So there has been a series of these things going on. And, and it seems like in most of the other places, as we've seen, these problems are getting worse. Yeah. And it it's one of those things where you don't see that in the Christian religion, right? Like this is something unique to these other religions that they like, like Islam and extreme Hindus, they get extremely violent when people leave the faith, you know, with apostates as they call them and um, do things like this in order to try to keep people in their faith. And you know, that should be a tell. I would say that's a red flag. But certainly something we need to be praying for because, as you said, this is a this is an ongoing situation and not just a one-off. I mean, we see these things pop up time and time again, and it's been multiple times in Uganda now. So this is definitely a prayer point. Yeah, ab absolutely, a huge prayer point. And you know, as we cover these stories, I'd encourage people literally write them down, get them on a prayer list because it is deeply, deeply needed. We'll do. All right, thanks for bringing that one to our attention, Billy. We're going to move to the main thing now. And as I mentioned at the top here, we've got younger generations. They're often ignored, sometimes underestimated in the political sphere. But millennials and Gen Zers now are making up a pretty important voting sector this time around. And a young voter himself, Juan Villasmil, talked to Madison Seals about what he's calling the Swifty Wave and what animates young voters and his article titled Donald Trump's Youth Problem Could Cost Him the Election. All the details there with Madison Seals on today's Main Thing. Before we get into today's main topic, there's some interesting trends that I want to highlight of Generation Z, which, just to clarify, is made up of people born between the years of 1997 and 2012. So it's currently the largest generation in American history, making up about 27% of the U.S. population. One quarter of Gen Zers spend five hours or more per day on TikTok. 
This year, millennials and Gen Zers together make up 44% of the voting eligible population, and 24% of Gen Zers say that Taylor Swift has increased their interest in football this season. Juan, I want to talk about these last two points for a minute. We've seen this idea of a so-called Swifty wave come up recently. And the first time I heard of it was leading up to the Super Bowl when people were speculating how she might use her already iconic status, which is, of course, enhanced by her relationship with Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, to make some sort of political statement during the Super Bowl, which did not end up happening. But the fact that it was even being conspired about means that statement could have held a lot of power. So can you tell me a little bit more about this so-called Swifty wave and what it could mean for this election? Yes. So as you mentioned, Gen C matters more than ever before, mainly because now more than half of us can vote. Back in 2016, for example, I couldn't vote. And as time progresses, there's this biological fact that sometimes Republicans forget. Uh, They talk about biological facts in regards to sex and abortion, which are really good. But another biological fact is that old people die and new voters enter the political game. And this is where Taylor Swift comes in. Taylor Swift is really popular with young women specifically. If you go to a college campus, you'll probably overhear Taylor Swift playing if you're walking by the dorms. And if you basically know any young woman, there's a a very likely chance that they like or even love Taylor Swift. So Taylor Swift has always been kind of liberal. Uh, She endorsed Hillary Clinton before. So it's not surprising that she would endorse Joe Biden. But she's more popular than ever before, especially because she's dating a football player and because her tours are amazing and she's doing really well for herself. And I don't know the numbers, but I'm pretty sure that this last year was probably her best year. So Republicans have been a bit concerned about whether the Swifty wave would materialize. Some of it is generally funny because I some people get a little, you know, conspiratory and they assess that Taylor Swift will come out in the middle of the game and just grab a microphone and endorse Biden or something like that. I don't know what's going to happen, but... I do think that it's important to think about this. Yes, Taylor Swift might have an effect on how a lot of young people vote. And Republicans, I believe, should start thinking, who's going to be our Taylor Swift? And maybe we don't have a Taylor Swift, but what other things can we do to reach young voters? What other things can conservatives do to appeal to the youth in lack of a Taylor Swift effect? Yeah, and we live in an age when conspiracy sounds a lot more like reality and political statements from pop culture icons are not rare. As you mentioned, Taylor Swift has endorsed Hillary Clinton in the past. She also gave an endorsement in October of 2020 when she issued a statement for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So she could easily do it again. But let's shift from Taylor Swift to the broader race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, which polling and primary show is likely to be former President Donald Trump. A recent survey released by the Harvard Kennedy School indicates that only 35 percent of young Americans approve of Biden's performance as president. But as you point out in your article, that doesn't necessarily translate to a pro-Trump wave among Gen Zers. You talk about Trump having a youth problem. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. So whatever we personally think about Trump, there's reality. And the reality is, is that that he 
appeals to the best and worst impulses in humanity. And that has some advantages when it comes to politics. And you can have a strong base. But when it comes to young people, a lot of people just hate the guy. And likability does play a role electorally. And this is where selecting a VP or changing the strategy, or well, in my opinion, actually having a strategy with the youth comes in play. Most Gen C individuals don't love Trump. And we see this in, in how they vote in elections with, with young voters and, and the caucuses so far. Trump underperformed. While some candidates like Vivek Ramaswamy punched well above their weight and Governor Ron DeSantis actually did pretty well too. So the question is, when we talk about politics, a lot of people talk about suburban women and black voters, the Latinos, and all of that matters. And you, when you think politically, you think about these groups in each state. But now I think it's time to start talking about the youth. We talk about the youth usually as, oh, they're just all liberals and we don't even have to think about them. But Gen Z is particularly interesting because they're not as liberal as some people assume. And there is a space for Republican appeal. But because of Trump's unpopularity with my generation, I think this election and, and who he picks as his VP and all, all the other things that he can do to kind of bring some newer light to his campaign will play an effect. Yeah. In your article, you mentioned Vivek Ramaswamy. Why do you think that he fits the mold for a good VP pick for the former president? Yeah. So in my article, I, I talk about Vivek Ramaswamy because when we look at the Iowa caucus specifically, Vivek Ramaswamy did not only overperform with the youth, but he dramatically overperformed. He was really close to Nikki Haley with voters that were young. And he was so far away from Nikki Haley with voters that were 65 and older. And this is what the Washington Post exit polls reveal. And when I saw that, I said, wow, maybe all the people that criticized him for being on TikTok, whatever we think about TikTok, there's a lot of young people there. All the people that criticized him for being with Jake Paul and hanging out with all these influencers and spending a lot of time on social media and podcasts, maybe they're missing a point that Vivek understood. And it's that young voters do matter. I think they matter less in a political primary, but in the general election, they will definitely matter more. Why? Just numbers. There's many of them. And Gen Z voters are not animated by the same politics of yesteryear. If you talk to a Gen Z conservative even, and you mention tax cuts and Ronald Reagan, they're not going to get super excited. But if you mention some of the issues of the day, if you, if you mention the, the loneliness epidemic, if you mention some of the ills that we detect, if, we, if you talk about DEI and all these newer ills that Gen Z conservatives detect in society, you will appeal to them. And if you appeal to them in their outlets, in their venues, and in the places where they find themselves at and not just Fox News, you, you might be able to get many of them I don't want to be too optimistic, but a big portion of them to show up for Trump. So that's why I mentioned Vivek. But I, that doesn't mean that only Vivek can do that. I think there's other candidates that could do that. There's all these other considerations that could have that we need to have in mind 
Maybe it's the populist J.D. Vance. Maybe it's Elise Stefanik with some of her moderate appeal. Maybe it's soft-spoken Ben Carson. All of them could potentially do what Vivek does really well. But it does seem hard to reciprocate. And I think Vivek, when it comes to the youth specifically, it's probably the best. It's probably the best thing we have. Yeah, and whether we like it or not, Gen Z and other upcoming generations will not only be voting in this election, but they'll also be largely running this country in the next couple of decades. So reaching them and resonating with them is not only important, it's necessary to uphold the values that we want our country to fight for in the future. So Juan, thank you for advocating for Gen Z and sharing your thoughts in this really interesting article. Thank you. All right, Madison, thanks for that conversation there. Interesting look into the minds of what some of the young people are thinking. Be interesting to see if the Taylor Swift effect will actually make an impact. I know she's endorsed some candidates before and it hasn't really done much to change the outcome. We'll see. We'll see this time around. As the guest said, that they are, a lot of them are turning voting age now after following people like influencers like Swift for some years and so we'll see we'll see time will only tell if that has an impact or not but appreciate you bringing that one on the podcast today madison that's going to leave us with time on the podcast today for one last thing yeah we've talked about this verse before but it's worth the reminder in light of today's focus story matthew 5 44 but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you a tough thing to live out but a calling that we have throughout scripture yeah super countercultural. Absolutely, no doubt about it. And one of the hardest things to do, I mean, we are really taught in not necessarily physically violent ways, but just in other ways, vengeance, right? If someone wrongs you, you have every right to wrong them back or to be angry at them. And Jesus turns that directly on its head with love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, Really hard to do, really hard to do when our human nature tells us to do exactly the opposite. So something that we can all be praying about as we go forward. Where can we do that in our own lives? All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Quick Start Podcast. Don't forget to get on over to CBNNews.com and FaithWire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, that creek don't rise on us. We'll return tomorrow. God bless. See you then.